You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Don't criticize my Land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem. In this episode, we will be submitting our second installment regarding criticism. And just as it is never wise to say, your family always makes the same mistake and the like, you should avoid saying, if only you would be like me, or my brother, sister, your brother. Everyone seems to understand that you should not compare siblings and say, why can't you behave like your brother? But this lesson has really not caught traction in other spheres of family life, or it could be office life. Comparing, through their face, one worker to another, or the coach on a team comparing one player to another. Any comparison to others results in the other's self-negation. Having said this, if you are the victim of comparison, it can be motivational. It is not uncommon to hear stories of athletes who have succeeded or entrepreneurs who have triumphed just because someone got their goat and they said they could not be in the league of so-and-so. This gave them the motivation to push themselves to the outer limit of their abilities. But our subject today is the usual consequence of comparisons which invariably cause hurt and insult. Think the PTA meeting when the teacher who starts off by saying, what a fine attitude your child has, how they come on time, and a host of other compliments. But you know, ay, 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 that the boom is going to be lowered. And even though this teacher went about this the right way, by first highlighting the positive aspects, before getting to the fact that the kid never does her math homework, their parent still cringes and squirms inside, for the child's blunder is a reflection of your own self-derelection. And it's really painful when the teacher points out how Sally, read you, is messing up. When I was in Russia, I asked them, how do PTA meetings work? I'm involved in education, and I was curious. And they told me, believe it or not, that all the parents sit down in their child's desk, and then the teacher points and says, you, terrible, you, horrible, you, always making trouble, you, always mischief. I'm sure that this humiliation was always very pedagogic. Fundamentally, criticism does not have to deal with the past, but rather what must be done, or what must not be done for the future. Events of the past need not be mentioned in the criticism, except to point out what should not be repeated.
everyone makes mistakes. The critical issue is to learn from the error so as not to repeat it. Falling down is not a mistake. Staying down is. When a plane travels from New York to Los Angeles, 85% of the route, it's constantly, dynamically, perpetually being vectored back onto the right course. But the bottom line is the airport lands in the right runway, in the right airport, and in the right city. So it's 100% not a mistake. In the gym where I work out in Jerusalem, the staff are, uh, are Russians, and they are somewhat Hebrew-challenged. And I was trying to go from the squash court to the pool without getting changed and dressed and going outside and around, but he caught me, one of the guards, and he said to me, Atataut, which translates, you are a mistake. I'm still thinking about this. So, why is it that what we say when we're angry can cause such hurt and alienation? Unfortunately, people generally assume that what others say when they are upset reflects what they truly feel. But all that such words generally reveal is what the person feels at that moment. When we are angry, we often feel and think unfairly. Few of us would want our parents, spouses, children, or friends to know every angry thought that goes through our heads. That's why most of us choose to keep our mouths shut. We are grateful that our heads are not made out of lucite or glass. But once we release these often distorted thoughts into the world, others tend to assume that they represent our true feelings. As Ibn Gabiro said, I can retract what I did not say, but I cannot retract what I have already said. A friend of mine told me that a person sent a disparaging email to one of his co-workers about a different worker's spouse, and it was very disparaging. Inadvertently, instead of sending this to his friend, he sent it to his list, and there is no way to retract. Once you shoot an arrow, there is no way to retrieve it. Hot emotions do not convey well over cold type. In one of my attempts to earn a livelihood, I manage a few apartments, and the tenants are all cookie-cutter, young marrieds, and they deal with me in lieu of dealing with the landlord. Upon occasion, these young, inexperienced tenants encounter a problem and fire off an angry, sharply worded email to me. I usually do not react to their harsh words right away. But a few weeks later, when everything has been resolved and they better understand that I was not at fault, I resend them their original email. I'm not trying to rub their nose into their immaturity. I wish to take advantage of this educational opportunity not to attack and critique in the heat of the moment. I read somewhere that the idea was floated to have the codes of nuclear weapons embedded in a chip that has been surgically implanted into a marine. Thus, before the president can fire the atomic weaponry, he's going to have to rip open the chest of the marine, killing him in the process, to get the codes. That requirement of sobriety can impede the president from acting irrationally in the heat of the moment. A strong reason why criticism is not effective is because it is usually expressed in anger with criticism mixed in. Because love is absent from the mix and the subject realizes that the criticizer is not interested in benefiting her, but rather in a reaction to what has ticked off the criticizer. And we shall later expand upon, you should say, I love you and, not, I love you but. However, when you begin criticism along King Solomon's proverbial recipe, 
found naturally in Proverbs. Do not rebuke a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Hence, when you criticize someone apt to listen in the proper way, you are broadcasting that I have nothing personally against you or to settle a score. Rather, I have a difficulty with one of your actions. Like we all know, you do not condemn the child who has misbehaved, but critique the naughty action. The rule is to critique the action and not the person. When you are critiquing a spouse, the normal reaction is one of hurt, as if you are implying that you do not love him or her, and you are ignoring all of the positive components of their personality, conduct, and what they do on behalf of the family. In order to avoid this feeling which blocks and eliminates the subject from being receptive, you must explicitly state that this is not the case, but that you really, really value and respect them a lot, and that all they do on behalf of the family. When a person is questioned, why did you do this? The answer usually runs along the lines of, and who are you? Or, you deserve it. Or, it was meant not to insult, but you're oversensitive. Or, you always insult me. These are the conventional garden variety, spontaneous reactions to attack and critique, resulting in the subject never paying attention to the criticism, since all of their attention is focused on how to counterattack. Furthermore, when criticism is phrased in a question, why did you? Dot, dot, dot. The question forces the subject to respond with an answer, for after all, a question was posed. In other words, Instead of the criticism being a catalytic enzyme for thought and reflection upon an error that was made, it is solely focused upon a counter-reaction. If the question was posed with the intonation of criticism, then obviously the question of why is not merely a question for information, but a critique. Often one spouse will charge that their husband and wife are complainers, and they have no idea why such an accusation is leveled against them. Why did you leave your socks on the floor? To the outsider, this may sound like a mere question, but not to the insider. To the insider, it is a condemnation that, quote, you are a slob. And the proof is that had it been a simple question, it would have merited an answer, such as, I got distracted and forgot to put them in the laundry. So the husband says that the wife is always nagging. The wife does not know what he's talking about. For she claims that she never complains. She asks questions, but he hears complaints. Quote, Why are you a slob is not a question that expects an answer. It's not even a question. It's an accusation. In Jerusalem, on the few freezing days in the winter, many of the sun collectors on the roof that are connected to the boilers freeze, resulting that the water bursts in the pipes and water starts gushing off the roof. This past winter, this happened in our building, so one of our neighbors turned off the main to all of the apartments in order to arrest the flood. He could not see on the roof to tell which apartment was causing the leak. In the interim, my wife came home and turned, off the and turned on the faucet in the kitchen and no water came out. She then turned on a different faucet and the result was the same. Subsequently, she left the house. When I came home, my neighbor yelled to me that the water meter was doing revolutions like a crazy man. I dashed up to the roof and saw that our boiler was not the culprit. 
I then ran down to the basement and saw that indeed the water meter was spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. I came upstairs to the apartment and heard what I thought was Niagara Falls. When the faulty boiler was fixed, the water mains were turned back on and our faucets were left open. What was really fortunate about this whole affair was that it happened I was preparing this episode about criticism. So when my wife came home later that evening, I told her about my day and how I raced up to the roof and then downstairs, and her hand flew to her face and she realized that she had neglected to turn off the faucets, and I did not have to say a word, only pay the water bill. Another unproductive question is, quote, I also find it difficult, but nonetheless I'm able to do this. Why can't you? Obviously such a line creates competition, preventing the listener to absorb the criticism. On the other hand, when a spouse says, I'm sure that you had no intention of hurting me, however your words or actions insulted me. This kind of approach does not force the subject to defend himself or muster excuses for their inappropriate behavior. Most importantly, it does not cause them to dismiss what has been said to them. Their criticizer starting by offering an apology, and any fair-minded person would have no reason to reject this offer. Since the criticizer did not attack the, the subject, but rather portrayed their personal feelings, this is a gracious way to enable the subject to excuse themselves and request pardon for the detrimental behavior. Offer an explanation with the criticism. If explanation is not offered, it will seem as if the whole purpose is to attack the other. But if the criticizer would explain the difficulties they are undergoing, the subject would better understand the hardship that their spouse is feeling. I work very hard to keep the house clean, but I know that you want a tidy home. But when you leave your dirty socks on the floor, it's like rolling a wheelbarrow into the living room. The purpose of a story or parable is always to clarify. Much better if the story could be said about someone else and the subject would derive the application to themselves. If you offer an explanation, one of three things can happen. The explanation can be accepted and there will be no hard feelings. The explanation can significantly blunt the hurt that usually results from criticism. Or it may not help. But the odds of two to three are in your favor. Dr. Diane Medved, in her brilliant book, Don't Divorce, and this book is not just brilliant, but it's written with a felicity of style that I have rarely encountered, except from the writing professor Vera Schwartz. Don't Divorce is really vital reading for anyone, married or single, but regrettably the book suffers from an unfortunate title. No one wants to be seen on a bus or on a beach reading a book entitled Don't Divorce, so don't judge this book by its title published by Regnery. Sorry for the long but very deserved introduction. Dr. Medved coined the term, quote, the power of the preface. Her contention is that you can say nearly anything and receive a positive response if you frame it correctly. Before you express your dissatisfaction, and now I'm quoting directly from the book, think of a preface that lets your partner know where you're coming from which ought to be a place of honest, mutual problem-solving. A preface isn't complicated. Just explain how you noticed that there was a problem or that you've been thinking about how to convey this in a loving way. Before you get to your gripe, you might say outright, 
that you're composing a preface because you respect, love, and care about your partner and want her to respond in the spirit in which it is offered. At the least, start off with, I love you and. The and is important. You know what will happen if you say, I love you but. Dr. Medvin has some other suggestions that do not relate necessarily as how to criticize, but are useful in avoiding the problem that would lead to criticism. This advice, just like the power of the preface, is applicable to any setting prone to criticism, and not just husband and wife. It could be roommates, colleagues, a family setting, a work setting, or a school setting. Namely, define the problem, because complaints usually have a root in reality. For example, if your teenage daughter rarely returns the phone to its cradle, there is no reason to say, you are always lazy, or you're not considerate of others, especially as she might be a very selfless individual. The problem is that she does not return, return the phone to its cradle, causing others to waste time looking for the phone and sometimes missing the call. Not returning the phone has one solution, and it's not a difficult habit to acquire. Another point, that there may be a neutral solution. If it bothers you that your spouse squeezes the toothpaste from the middle, solve the problem with separate tubes. If it bothers you that your roommate spritzes toothpaste on the mirror when she brushes her teeth, advise her to drape her towel over the mirror, for as we all know, we are not dental hygienists and do not require mirrors large and small to see our teeth when we brush them. The upside of this solution is that you will have a minty-smelling minty towel, not to mention not be on your roommate's nerves. The point is that a problem can be solved by coming up with an ingenious yet simple solution which will obviate desire to criticize. There are plenty of occasions where criticism, especially unsolicited criticism and gratuitous criticism, can be avoided by providing a solution to the problem that you intend to condemn. If someone is speaking outside on a cold day and their nose is running, instead of criticizing their hygiene, simply offer a tissue. Nothing needs to be said. Dignity was saved and the problem was nobly solved. Oh gosh, we've run out of time, so we're going to have to continue this on our next episode. Thanks to our sound engineer, Alex Drucker, and to our production assistant, Maddie Drucker. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we hope you will join us for our next episode. Please take a listen to all those that you've already missed. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. 
Check out the site store and just by inserting TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to tellerfromjerusalem.com.